reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Vic. Good morning, everyone. My name's Joel. I'm the minister here at St. Stephen's, uh, and it's wonderful to be uh, looking at God's Word again with you this morning. Uh, if you're visiting, then, as, as Miriam mentioned, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, and, and this just happens to be where we're up to this morning. Uh, so we'll, we'll pray in a moment and ask for God's help. Uh, but first, I just wanted to let you know uh, two things. Firstly, I wanted to just say, uh, welcome back to Jaden and Zoe, married a, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, back with us for the first time, so lovely to see you. Uh, the other thing I wanted to let you know about, uh, which you would have seen in an email this week if, if you're a regular here, is that um, Alex Roger passed away uh, during the week, and uh, Alex had been uh, coming with his wife Robin uh, for a number of years, and uh, uh, he, he yeah he passed away on I believe it was Tuesday uh, Monday Monday evening. Uh, his funeral is tomorrow. Uh, it's happening at at 10:30 over at St Andrew's Church in uh, Redcliffs, and it would be lovely uh, if, if people would be able to come along to that. Uh, I know a number of us from, from St Stephen's will be there to uh, support Robin and the wider family at this time. So that's 10.30 tomorrow, uh, if you're able to be there. Please do keep the whole family in your prayers, uh, and it'll be wonderful to, to give thanks for uh, Alex's life and his faith in the Lord as well. Well, let's pray now as we uh, think about these words. Heavenly Father, as we uh, look, at, look at a passage like this one uh, this morning, uh, I imagine it's easy for some of us to uh, distance ourselves from it. Uh, so I ask that you'd help us to uh, hear what it is you have to say to us this morning. Uh, help us to uh, be changed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, a number of you would probably have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, it's the story of two Olympic runners and their differing, differing experiences to get to the 1924 Olympics in Paris. And one of the, the two main characters uh, is a man named Eric Liddell. Uh, he's a strong Christian who is a, a gifted runner. And when he runs, he sees it as an opportunity to honour God. Now, Eric's sister, Jenny, is also a strong Christian. And she loves her brother but in the film, she's quite against his running career. She'd rather that he focused 
on the mission work being done in China where their parents had been missionaries. And at one point in the film, Eric has been at training and he's so late that he misses a meeting at church. And this leads Jenny to basically accuse Eric of of no longer caring about God. She questions whether his running and his faith can coexist. And Jenny comes across as a, a little bit legalistic in the film. If you were to ask her about freedom as a Christian, uh, she'd probably be one of those Christians who's a lot more restrictive than the Bible itself in terms of her understanding of what a Christian should or shouldn't do. And there are many Christians who are wired that way. I'm sure some here will lean towards that. Maybe we find it much easier to be restrictive in terms of what a Christian should or shouldn't do, even when the Bible doesn't necessarily go that far. And we add our own little rules to life based on what we think is appropriate. But there are other Christians who have the opposite problem when it comes to Christian freedom. Some think that a Christian's freedom means that we can do absolutely anything we want. And again, some here this morning will lean towards this. We see no need for restriction even when God's word instructs us to avoid certain things. And in the name of freedom, we disobey the the ways that God calls us to live. Well, as we come to the passage this morning, it's the second of these problems that the Apostle Paul is worked up about as he writes to the church in Corinth. Some Christians in Corinth are are using their so-called freedom to justify living in sin. And as we heard the reading, uh, we might well ask, how does a Christian a follower of Jesus, end up in a brothel. How does that happen? Well, as we go through the passage, we'll see two misunderstandings around a Christian's freedom and the body. And then we'll see four reasons why, Paul, why that Paul outlines why our bodies are important. And finally, uh, we'll think about what that means for us. Uh, but first, a very quick refresher. Uh, we're in... Uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he helped to establish, but it's a church that's shown a number of worrying signs. And word has got back to Paul about some of the issues. Uh, so far in the letter, he's addressed division in the church over who follows which particular leader. He's addressed Christians who've been taking each other to court over, over trivial matters, and rather than dealing with disputes within the church. And he's addressed a, a specific situation, a disturbing situation of sexual immorality where a man had taken his father's wife. And while it looks like he's addressing a a very specific situation today as well, as we look at the passage we'll see he's actually dealing with with a much broader principle that is impacting the lives of the Corinthians. Uh, So why don't we make a start? Uh, And so we'll start with the two misunderstandings. The first is there in verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. Now, if you have a Bible on you, you'll see that those words have quotation marks around them. Uh, But of course, in in the original language, in the Greek, quotation marks didn't exist. But the reason we we assume it's a quote is because Paul actually goes on to use this phrase four times in the letter. Everything is permissible for me. Uh, It's like some of the, the slogans that you hear from time to time. When in Rome, or carpe diem, seize the day, or... YOLO, you only live once. Now as Christians we know that not everything is permissible. 
We know that it's not okay to go and murder someone. It's not okay to steal or to lie. God's word tells us very clearly that there are a number of things in life that aren't permissible. It's never permissible to sin. To sin. But the Corinthians are using the slogan to justify any sort of behaviour, even if it's sinful. But Paul shuts down this thinking with a, a couple of quotes of his own. Uh, not everything is beneficial. I will not be mastered by anything. Uh, there's a common misconception in, in society today that boundaries take away from freedom. But without any boundaries, we often end up enslaved. And you only need to look at the numerous different addictions in the world that you see. Uh, give a kid freedom to de- decide how many hours they're going to spend in front of a screen and you'll quickly find addictions developing. Give adults absolute freedom to do what they want, when they want, and you'll see a very similar thing. Not everything is beneficial. Christ hasn't set us free to sin. He has set us free so that we won't sin, so that we, may, we might live holy lives. And that's the first thing that the, the Corinthians have misunderstood. The second thing they've misunderstood is how God views our bodies. In verse 13, Paul quotes the Corinthians once again, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But Paul says God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now it's quite a puzzling verse. What what does food have to do with sexual immorality? Well, the problem lies in the Corinthians' view of the body. They know that the body requires food. You can't deny your stomach because everyone needs food to survive. And that's the case from the moment we enter this world. It's not long after a child is born that they demand to be fed. They go hysterical when they want food. And some of us never grow out of that habit. We, we still get hangry. Now, now, the Corinthians' argument was this. Just as the stomach needs food, so the body needs sex. And based on that misunderstanding, they say, well, if the body needs sex, then it doesn't matter how you get it, even if it means you end up in a brothel. Now, in verse 13, when, when Paul says food for the, the food, uh, sorry, food and the stomach will be destroyed, I, I think what he's essentially getting at is don't let your appetite drive your decisions. Because when it comes to sex, your bodies weren't made for sexual immorality. That was never God's intention for them. And so Paul sets about rebuilding their understanding of the body by teaching them how God views their bodies. And we see four reasons why our bodies are important. Firstly, our bodies are important because they are uh, are to be used in God's service. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Uh, This letter is from a time in history where it was popular to, to separate the physical side of things from the spiritual. But Christians were to view the body very, very differently. There's nothing wrong with food or sex. They are good things that that God has given us. But don't forget that your body has also been given by God. And therefore, don't use it in a way that it's not intended to be used. It's not meant for sexual immorality. It is meant for the Lord. It's like Paul says in, in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. See, our bodies are to, be, are to be used to please God, not to dishonor Him. Our desires shouldn't be the things that dictate what we do with our bodies. It's God's will. It's God's will that is to guide us. Now, the second reason why the body is important is there in verse 14. Our bodies will be raised, uh, and this is a fairly straightforward point. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. We will follow on from our Savior. Just as he was raised, we will be. Now, it's not just a, a person's spirit that will be raised, but their body as well. And if God would go to, to all that trouble to raise our bodies as frail and fragile as they can end up being, then that must mean that our bodies have some sort of importance. The third reason that our, our bodies are important is because they are united with Christ. Uh, this point's a little bit longer. Verses 15 to 17. Uh, in verse 15, we see that the first of three questions that Paul asks, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? People sometimes refer to the, the different parts of the body as members, our organs, our limbs. Each one belongs to the body. And in a very similar way, each of us as Christians are members of Christ's body. We belong to him, our, our bodies are united with him, and we make up the many different parts. Now, there are many wonderful benefits to being united to Jesus. Uh, benefits that we heard last time, Christians have been washed, cleansed from our guilt and shame, sanctified, a big word, made holy, made more and more like Jesus, and justified. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our imperfection, but he sees Jesus' perfection. But those are just a few of the benefits of being united to Christ. And that means whatever we do with our bodies, we do as his representatives. So when Paul asks, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? The answer is a resounding never. Whatever you do with your body involves Christ as well. When you do things that are sexually immoral, you're ruining this relationship, this unity that you have with Jesus. It's like the Corinthians here are dragging Christ into the brothel with them. The Corinthians seem to think that there are some moments in life which aren't connected to Christ. There are some moments that aren't spiritual, as if you could just flick a switch. But Christ is connected to, to every moment of a Christian's life. If you're a Christian, he, he's connected to every moment of your life. Now he goes even further in his second question in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. And you might recognize the last part of that verse. Uh, it's from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, it's, very popular, it's a popular view today uh, that sex, to think that sex is simply a transaction, a physical thing that takes place between two willing participants. That's the very low bar that society sets and we're told that it's all about personal pleasure it doesn't matter if you've just met the person or or whatever the context it doesn't matter if it's with the person you're dating it doesn't matter if it's with someone of the same sex it doesn't even matter if it's not your spouse but when Paul quotes Genesis 2 verse 24 we, we should remember the first part of that verse 
It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. There's a commitment that sex implies. It's not just a transaction. Transactions these days can be so impersonal, can't they, when, when you're buying something? You don't even have to say a word. You don't even have to make eye contact. You can just tap your card and you're away. But sex, as, as God intends it, it's, it's committed. Uh, Genesis mentions leaving behind your family, your parents. That's a huge commitment. Sex is something that binds a couple together. It's not just about an individual. It, it unites two people. And God has, has given it to us to show a couple's commitment to each other in life. That's the significance of the two becoming one flesh. Now what the Corinthians are doing is that they're taking this thing that God intended for marriage, this thing that binds a couple together, and they're satisfying their desires in the most uncommitted sexual relationship in a way that unites them with someone who they have no intention of being united to in the way that the Bible intends. Bodies that are united to Christ were never meant to be united with others outside of marriage. And in verse 18, we see the consequence of this type of sin. Uh, the first part of the verse we'll come to later, but the rest of it says this, All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Uh, when you first read that, you, you could think that Paul is saying that sexual sin is worse than any other sin. And if you struggle with any type of sexual sin, you should feel particularly guilty. And, and people have interpreted this verse in that way. And in fact, people have made, been made to feel particularly guilty for struggling with sin of any, sexual sin of any kind. Uh, but let me tell you why I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Remember Paul's addressing those who don't think there's an issue with visiting a brothel, sleeping with a prostitute. They don't think it's sinful. That's very different to a person who, who recognises their sexual sin and is struggling to overcome it. I, I think Paul's main point here is that sexual sin is not a trivial thing. It impacts us in a way that other sin doesn't. And its impact can also be uh, so devastating, as I'm sure we've seen in others' lives or even experienced ourselves. The person who is battling their sin, struggling, striving to be holy... That's clearly a person who isn't trivialising sin. So when Paul says his words in verse 18, it, it's not a guilt trip. It's a warning. Now the third reason our, our bodies are important is because God's Spirit dwells in us. Now in verse 19, uh, we come to the third question. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Uh, we had some guests staying with us earlier in the year. And I'm not sure about you, but I think it's fairly common for people to tidy up more than usual when they have guests staying. Everything is in the, the right place. There's no clutter. Everything looks shinier than usual. You're wanting to make the person's stay as good as possible. And, and we go to such great lengths, even though in some cases the person may only be staying for one night. But when God comes to stay... He isn't just passing through. His spirit is here to dwell in us permanently. And so it's right for us to think about that and, and the impact of the way we're living our lives. Now, if you're living in, in sexual sin, 
whatever that may be, and you're not concerned in, in the slightest, uh, it's worth asking if you've really understood what it means to have God's Spirit living in you. Now the final thing we learn about why our bodies are important is there at the end of verse 19 uh, and into verse 20. Our bodies have been purchased by God. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. We're in the age of my body, my choice, and because it's my body, it's, it's my right to be able to choose what I do with it. No one tells me what I can or can't do. And I think we all have a, a little bit of that attitude in us. We, we like being the top dog, the decision maker, but for Christians, we know that our lives, including our bodies, have been paid for at a great price, one that we could never pay. Jesus laid down his sinless body to make us his brothers and sisters, part of the family of God. Whenever you're tempted to think about your body in terms of your own rights, remember the rights that Jesus gave up for you. Now this morning we've seen the mistakes of the Corinthians. We've thought about uh, God's view of the body. But where does that leave us? Well, I imagine that none of us here this morning are perfect when it comes to the way we think about our bodies and in particular the way we think about sex. I imagine that we're probably far from perfect. We're people who have our own desires and who will struggle in different ways to submit those desires to our loving Father in heaven. Well, in this passage, there are, there are two commands, just two, that Paul gives the Corinthians, and, and that's where we'll finish. Uh, the first command is there in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Uh, I remember when I uh, came back to church in my late teens and early 20s, uh, one of the most common things you'd hear when it, when it came to anything to do with relationships or sex was, how far is too far? And that question may be one that you've wrestled with. But it's the exact opposite attitude of, of the command that Paul gives here. He's not saying get as close to the flames as you can without getting burnt. He's saying get as far away from the flames as possible. Now whatever stage of life you're at, flee because your body matters to God. What does that look like practically? Uh, there's a wonderful example in the Bible with Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39. Uh, Joseph, knowing she was a married woman, refused to go to bed with her despite her persistence. But we're also told he even refused to be with her, to be around her. And I think that was incredibly wise on his part. Now you'll remember that, that she eventually uh, tricked him into being in the same room as her and he fled he would have been out of there quicker than Eric Liddell in the Chariots of Fire movie. Uh, and, and it's a great example. Now, what might it look like for, for us, each of us, to flee sexual immorality? Maybe a case of being more mindful of the things that you watch or, or read or listen to. It may mean having clearer boundaries around the ways you relate to particular people. It may mean avoiding certain situations where you know you will be tempted to sin. All of these things will look different at different stages of life. If you're single or, or widowed or divorced, if you're married or if you're dating someone, 
Uh, we'll be thinking more on, on marriage and singleness in the coming weeks. Uh, if you're a parent, it's worth thinking about the ways you help your kids to flee from sexual immorality. Because in this day and age, they're, they're so exposed to sex from such a young age, and the message they're given about, our, about their bodies is very different to what the Bible says. Parents need to be wise in helping kids to flee. It may mean being more involved, being more aware of, of time spent on devices and other things. Now, all of these things are just ideas, but ultimately, we need God's help to be able to flee. I asked that question earlier, how does a Christian end up in a brothel? And I think the answer is that it's by failing to flee, maybe in, in small ways to begin with, maybe over a period of time. Christians need to flee from sexual immorality. The second command that, that Paul gives in this passage comes in verse 20. He says, Therefore, honour God with your body because you are united with Christ, because God's Spirit lives in you, because you are not your own, because Jesus paid the price that you could never pay. You are free to turn away from sin, so honour God with your body. Now we've seen this morning how important our bodies are to God. Now let me close with these words from Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, which also remind us of that. This is what Psalm 139 says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There is no doubt that our bodies matter to God. Now the question is, do they matter to us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in Christ. We thank you that it's not a an endless freedom that you give us uh, boundaries that are, are for our good. Father, we thank you for our bodies. And we ask that you'd forgive us for the times where we give in to our own desires and, and don't use our bodies uh, to serve you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus whose blood has covered over our failures. And please would you help us to see your intention for our bodies and to strengthen us by your spirit, uh, to live lives that honour you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.